You are tuned to WEHC Emory and WISEFMYs. I'm Leanne Hunter, live in studio and broadcasting from the campus of Emory & Henry, here to welcome you to our local programming. The time is 1 o'clock on Wednesday, November 15th, and it is time for another edition of Farm Talk, the program that educates and answers your questions about dealing with the natural world. And here for the next 30 minutes is the host of Farm Talk, Virginia Tech Agricultural Extension Agent Phil Blevins. Thank you, Leanne. It's good to be back with everyone today, and thank you to WHC for allowing me to be on. We started a conversation last week about meat. Uh, beef is our largest industry in southwest Virginia as far as agriculture goes, and obviously the output from that is beef. And so we talked some things last week about uh, some uh, some ideas and some facts about how beef is produced, and we were just getting in to the meat side of things. And I was talking about grading versus inspection, and all cattle that are sold, all meat that you buy in a grocery store uh, is graded and inspected. And we talked about inspection, that inspection is really about food safety and federal or state people grade those animals, they grade them, they look at them before uh, they're processed and then after the meat is on the rail to determine whether it's subject and whether it's safe or whether it's subject to being disposed of. And so they do both a live and a post-mortem exam, examination or inspection, I should say, of that meat. But grading, on the other hand, is where we were last week and there are actually two grades uh, that are applied to beef cattle and uh, particularly beef cattle, as they go through a uh, processing plant. And there's yield grade, and there's also quality grade, and both of those are important to the consumer. And that's the reason that we're talking about this, is to give some more information to those of you that consume meat. And yield grades are actually an estimate of the of the closely trimmed retail cuts that we get from an animal, because not all of the animal is food. Uh, you have the hide and you have the insides and other things are called offal that actually don't go into what you would buy at the store. Now, some of those things are processed and some people around the world and even in this country eat those things. But by and large, what we go to the store to buy are those cuts of meat uh, that we normally see in the grocery store. And so the formula that's used actually to calculate yield grade is based on the muscling, which is estimated at the ribeye, and the back fat thickness. And obviously we don't go to the store to buy fat, and so the fatter the animal is, generally the lower the yield grade is. And yield grades range uh, from 1 to 5, with 1 being a very lean animal to 5 being a fat animal. And so uh, you never see the back fat problems in the store. The graders see those on the rail, as we would describe it, or the term that would be used in the plant. And then they put that yield grade on them, and that really helps determine how valuable they are because the person that's buying that meat is not interested to sell to the retailer or to the restaurant, is not interested in buying back fat either. And so those cattle that fall into the high yield grade or yield grade four or five actually in most cases are going to get a discount. And so it's to the advantage of everyone involved to produce cattle that really uh, end up being uh, ready for market before they get to those uh, lower yield grades. And so the other grade that's put on them is the one that most people are familiar with, and they may not understand what all those grades mean, but that's the quality grade. And all grading, whether it be yield grade or quality grade, is conducted by the United States Department of Agriculture and it's the American Marketing Service that does that. 
that division of USDA. And this is not about food safety. Food safety was taken care of in the inspection, but quality is taken care of in these quality grades that we put on animals uh, at the plant. And these quality and yield grades uh, that I just talked about were established back in 1927, and they were done to set standards of quality and cutability so that when you see either a yield grade or a quality grade, you can have an idea, a very good idea, of um, what, what's represented there. And it kind of, these quality grades in particular, assure that the product conforms to some standard of palatability or taste or eating experience. And so this is actually paid for by the meat packers, and obviously that's passed on uh, to the consumer ultimately. But the quality grade, these USDA quality grades, they're an appraisal of the eating characteristics of, of lamb or beef. And the things that, are, uh, that it tries to project or predict, I should say, are tenderness, juiciness, and flavor. And so the factors, uh, there are several factors that are involved in determining a quality grade of an animal. One of those is the color of the meat. And we talked about that last week with beef that should be bright cherry red, with lamb that should be dark cherry red. The texture, you really want a fine texture when you look at the surface of the muscle. And then marbling, and marbling are those flecks of fat that we see that are within the muscle, uh, within the section of the muscle. And so, and then the age of the animal. The, once animals reach 30 months of age, uh, there are some quality grades that they can achieve regardless of the other factors that are involved. And so, uh, but quality grades are not applied to pork since it's generally produced from young animals, uh, bred to produce a more uniformly tender meat. And so uh, you're familiar with these, whether you've realized it or not, but we all know the terms prime and choice because we see that in the meat case. If you shop, for example, at Sam's Wholesale now, you'll see an advertisement there for prime beef. And that's those animals that are of the highest uh, quality, at least in estimate and term, and that's basically determined by the marbling that's in the meat. And then those others uh, that uh, choice is certainly a high-grade beef. And so those prime and choice animals are the ones that command the higher price. And those are the ones that you're going to pay more for uh, in most cases in the meat case or in the restaurant. And then you have two other grades called select and standard. And those are generally the ones that are applied to animals that are under 30 months of age. And so once an animal reaches 30 months of age, then they don't qualify for all these grades anymore. There are other quality grades that are used for what are called non-fed beef. Uh, and what that means is those are animals that, for, that have uh, lived their useful life. There's nothing wrong with them. They've actually either they've quit producing or uh, someone's ready to uh, dispose of a herd or whatever, and these are called non-fed beef. And there are three gra- four grades, actually, that apply to them called commercial, utility, cutter, and canner uh, that are used. And those animals can't qualify for those higher grades. Now, that is, again, that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the beef because they're still inspected. Uh, they are still have to pass uh, federal inspection. And those animals are used a lot in, the, in some restaurant trades. Uh, for example, if you eat at Golden Corral, uh, some of those restaurants, they will use the 
valuable cuts out of those animals uh, for the roast beef on the food bar, if that's where you're eating. Uh, some of the meat goes into ground beef, but most of the beef that we consume at the grocery store, a matter of fact, all of it that you would find at the grocery store in this area is going to come from those animals under 30 months of age. And so uh, the grater, and it's interesting how this is done, used to be all done visually. A grater would be standing on a line and there's hundreds of carcasses coming by him and he's grading them in just a few seconds, putting these uh, quality grades and yield grades on them. Uh, a lot of it's done by camera now. It's been automated where they actually can calibrate cameras uh, to be able to do these quality grades. And so in some of the bigger plants, it's done by camera now. Now, those of you that like lamb, and I know we have people in there that really like lamb, and usually all you're ever going to find in a store are the prime and choice grades of lamb. And lamb, technically, for meat to be called lamb, meat from a sheep to be called lamb, it has to be under one year of age. Uh, if there's any of you that are senior citizens out there like me that are listening to this program today, you probably remember back in your younger days when people talked about eating mutton. Well, mutton is actually from a sheep that's over a year old, and that's never sold as lamb in the store. Uh, some people have a taste for mutton, and some people don't. Uh, most of the people that grew up during the Depression that you hear talk about mutton, it's not a favorable thing that they say, but some people really have a taste for that. But what you would find in the store in our part of the world is going to be lamb from prime and choice grade animals. And one of the things to keep in mind about meat uh, in this part of the world, in, unless you get into a larger city where you have more ethnic trade or things like that, the cuts that you're going to find in a store for the most part are going to be uh, they're not going to be the full range of cuts you could get out of an animal. For example, you don't find oxtail in our part of the world very well. You certainly don't find chitlins in Abingdon when you go to the store, or you're unlikely to find beef tongue or anything like that. But in some parts of the country where you have more ethnic trade or, or you have areas of the country that have been influenced by certain uh, groups over the years, you'll find those things available because there are people there that enjoy those dishes. Now, when we come to pork grades, you really only have five grades, period, in pork, and that's one, two, three, four, and utility. And that's the, that's the description as far as they go. Now, they're also inspected, just like beef cattle, lambs are inspected. But uh, that kind of gives an overview of what quality and yield are. Now, when we think about uh, trying to understand meat characteristics, uh, carcasses are first broken down into what are called wholesale or primal cuts, and then those wholesale or primal cuts are further broken down to retail cuts. One of the easiest ones, if you think about a wholesale cut, is a ham or a leg off of a lamb. Those are wholesale cuts that can be further processed. Sometimes they aren't. Now, the back leg of a beef animal is called the round, and it always is broken down further into other cuts. But the area of the body that the cut comes from helps determine the cookery method that should be used. And part of what that boils down to is the more the muscle is used, uh, the, the tougher the muscle is. You know, those of you that eat chicken, the leg is generally going to be tougher than the breast is on a chicken. Uh, and so the same thing in animals. Those muscles that are used for locomotion to get around, 
uh, those generally are going to be the tougher muscles, muscles that are used for support, like the loin muscle in the back doesn't get a lot of exercise. It's generally just a support muscle or going to be more tender. And that kind of help, that helps us determine how we should cook it. And there's no really no cut in the animal that's not good if it's prepared correctly. Uh, we can take a really high-quality piece of meat and mess it up by cooking it wrong. And we can take a low-value piece of meat and cook it correctly and make an excellent dish out of it. And so generally, when we think about those carcasses, how they're broken down, they break the shoulder. Uh, and then you have the rib, which is from the top of the shoulder back to the 12th rib and uh, beef and lamb. Now, from the pork, it goes from, from a pig, it goes from the shoulder all the way back to the hip. The loin in uh, beef and lamb is from the 13th rib back to the hip. And then you have the back leg and then the lower parts, the belly and the lower rib. And that's, in general, how carcasses are broken apart. Now, when we think about the characteristics of those individual large pieces, shoulder cuts have multiple muscles in them. Uh, if we were cannibals and we broke down a person, it'd be the same thing with us. And they're heavily used, and so they tend to be tougher. Rib and loin cuts center around, they are centered around the loin eye muscle, which is really just a support muscle, so they're more tender. And then leg cuts, depending on where they come from, uh, they are not. They can be heavily used or not used as much. Usually, the inside of the leg is not used as much, and so those cuts are more tender versus the outside of the leg, which are heavily used. Leg muscles have fewer leg uh, portions have fewer muscles, and so uh, that changes a little bit how we might fix it. And so all this is important because it gives us an idea of how we should prepare them for the best uh, eating experience. And so. Uh, before we go any further, we're going to take a break right now, and then we'll go into a little more detail on this. EHC. Join us Sunday, November 13th from 3 to 4 p.m. as Ed Snodderly and the Shoestring 7 take the stage at the iconic Down Home in Johnson City, Tennessee. Tickets available at thedownhome.com at the door, or just dial us in on WEHC or WISE-FM. So take down your boxing bow and play the streets. Whisper up your own traveling tune. Thank you for listening to WEHC. It is time now to return to Farm Talk with Phil Blevins. Okay, so let's talk now a little bit about where does some cut that you might find in the store come from. And so we talked about the big breakdown or the major breakdown of a carcass. And so the shoulder part, if we just looked at that, that's where 29% of the meat is going to be. And so those of you that like chuck roast, for example, the shoulder of a beef animal is called the chuck, and that's where you find things. You find the chuck roast. You find chuck eye steaks. That's what with that. Or if you like top blade steak, that's where that would come from. In pork, in the shoulder, we get the Boston butt and the picnic shoulder, and then lamb, it's just called the shoulder. Now, in the rib, the rib section of the animal, from the shoulder back to the 12th rib, that's where we get the ribeye. Those of you that like steak, like ribeye steaks, that's where they come from. Uh, in lamb and pork, you would get rib chops in that area. And that's about 9% of the animal. And that gives us, that's one of the drivers that determines price, uh, as well as the quality of the meat there. And then the loin, when we go from that 13th rib back to the leg, you get uh, the New York strip, the T-bone, the porterhouse, uh, sirloin, that's about 16% of the animal. And, and pork and lamb, you get chops from that area. 
And then the leg or the back leg is about 22%. And so from that you get round steak or round roast or either round roast or ham or leg of lamb, those of you that like lamb. And so then from those lower parts, we probably got some grillers out there that like to make barbecue. Uh, the beef brisket is that section between the front legs of a beef animal. Uh, short ribs also come from that section of the animal, the lower rib. And flank steak, those of you that like to eat uh, fajitas, uh, that's going to come from the back section, the lower part of the animal. And then one that everybody likes that likes meat is bacon. That comes from the pork belly. And so that kind of gives you an idea where those cuts come from. Now, when we think about uh, cookery, when we get down to that, heating can do two things. It can either tenderize or it can toughen meat. And so in general, as meat is heated, some meat proteins become firm and hardened, which leads to, tough, leads to toughening. But heat also uh, affects the collagen in the meat, and the connective, which is a connective tissue, and it tends to break down that, causing meat tenderization. So it really, you know, you think, I'll just throw this piece of meat on the grill, or I'll put it in the oven, and, and I don't pay attention to what I've got, then I can either... I can either help it or hurt it if I'm not careful. And there are really three uh, cookery methods that we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about microwaving. Uh, but dry, dry cookery methods include uh, grilling, which a lot of people do in the summertime. That's a big season for grilling. That's a dry cookery method. Or broiling in the oven is dry cookery. Or roasting something that just in its own, own juices. And then you have moist cookery which is when we would add liquid to it of some sort, whether it would be water or whether it would be tomato juice or some other sauce that we might cook the meat in. And that's slow cooking. When we do that, we're cooking one of those tougher cuts generally uh, that we want to cook slow so we can break down the collagen, the connective tissue, and make a tender piece of meat out of it. And then there are some cuts that can actually be cooked either way, depending on how we handle that. And the method is really dictated by the cut. And so, uh, you know, since we talk about dry heat, since that's generally done during broiling or over a grill, and that's done over a short period of time, there's not enough time to break the collagen down. Uh, and so uh, we have to use tender cuts in that case. Uh, sometimes, you know, when we roast a tender roast of some sort, like a top round or a sirloin tip, we can use dry heat to cook that. And over time, uh, we would wrap, first of all, we would wrap that to keep the moisture up in it so you don't lose the juice to keep the flavor there. Or wrap it with bacon strips or something like that. Uh, we can cook those things dry. And because of the tender nature of the muscle, because it's not used as much, uh, we're able to do that and still have a really nice cut of meat at that point. But if you go up to the chuck or the shoulder of an animal, you're going to run into a considerable amount of connective tissue that needs to be cooked moist to tenderize the meat. And in that case, the meat needs to be roasted in a closed container that contains some type of liquid, either water or, like I said, it could be tomato juice uh, whatever the recipe calls for, and we cook that at low temperatures over a longer cooking time than we would use on a grill or a, broil, a broiler or something of that nature to, um, to break that connective tissue down and to actually uh, tenderize the meat. 
you know, stewing or braising or making a pot roast are examples of this type of cookery. And things that we would cook this way, for example, I said the beef chuck, or we might cook a Boston butt that way. Of course, I know we got some grillers out there that are going to say they smoke that meat. But they do it over a long period of time to get the tender, tenderizing effect that they want. Uh, in general, mussels, as I said, that are used more need to be cooked to using moist meat, and mussels that are used less cooked with uh, dry heat. Uh, the shoulder of the animal, in general, that's going to be moist heat. Uh, with porks, a little bit different. Some of those cuts can be cooked dry or moist, depending on how we prepare them. The rib or loin is, rib or loin is generally dry heat, either a grill or broiler, or if it's a roast, we might roast it. Uh, the back leg, in general, it's moist heat for the outside muscles and dry heat for the inside muscles of the beef. If you go to the store and you buy top round, for example, that's actually the inside of the leg of a beef animal. And uh, I suppose that's because that's the way it's laid on the table when the butcher's working on it. It's the top part. And those inside muscles are not used as much. And so if you bought top round steak, you could actually grill that and get by with it, or you could cook it other ways as well. And there's a lot of good cooks out there I know that have done these things differently than what, than what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about the general recommenda recommendation in terms of cooking these meat. And then ribs. You know, there's nothing more disappointing if you like ribs than to cook ribs, and then they're tough. And ribs really need to be cooked a long time to be moist and to be tender like they should be. Uh, because uh, because the fact the rib section is used a lot. If we look at our ribs when we breathe, they're all the time going in and out. And so those muscles are used a lot, and so they tend to be tougher, whether they're spare ribs or back ribs in pork or short ribs in beef cattle or the lamb breast, those of you that might be lamb eaters and cook lamb breast. Uh, and if we look, you know, on those moist heat cuts, some of those in particular uh, I've already mentioned beef chuck roast. And then on the back leg, those of you, some of those that we would find at the store around here would be bottom round, for example. And bottom round is actually from the outside of the back leg of an animal. So bottom round roast or bottom round steak is going to tend to be tougher unless we prepare it correctly. And brisket. Uh, brisket, even though it doesn't seem to be a very heavily used muscle, with the exception of maybe aiding when they're walking, but it is a tougher cut of meat if we don't cook it correctly. Uh, we end up with something maybe we're not satisfied with. And then uh, the one, it's interesting that in pork, if you look at the recommendations for cookery on pork, there's really only one cut in pork that's recommended to be cooked moist, and that's the hock or the smoked hock. And that's the lower part, the shank of the ham, that a lot of people have used around here and other parts of the country forever to season pinto beans or soup beans. Uh, that's one that's cooked moist. And then lamb, the only one that's recommended to be cooked moist is the shank. And so it's not always, there's exceptions to every rule I talk about. And one of the things to do is actually you can figure out how these things are. You can look for these things on the internet to get advice from people that cook these kinds of meats all the time to tell you the best way to cook them. Uh, actually, there is a uh, sheet that we use. I used to coach, coach the 4-H meats judging team. And actually, I've never, I've not counted up the number of cuts uh, that there actually are in all three species, beef, pork, and lamb. 
but it's well over 100, and those judging team members had to know how to cook every cut of that. They need to be able to identify identify where it came from and then how to cut it. So that information is available. And then if we think about the dry uh, heat cuts, those are going to be the ones generally that come from uh, the back of the animal, from the rib or from the loin. One exception to that would be that comes from the chuck. Those of you that like top blade steak, uh, that's one that's very tender that comes out of the shoulder. Uh, ground beef, you're certainly not going to cook that moist or ground pork or sausage. Um, in pork, any chop that you would buy, whether it be a loin chop or a rib chop, uh, it, the only exception to this would be blade chops. Uh, those could be cooked dry, or bacon, obviously, or ground pork or sausage, as I mentioned, or smoked ham cuts or roast from the ham. All those are recommended to be cooked dry. And then in lamb, the rib and loin chops and the leg of lamb are all recommended to be uh, uh, cooked dry. And so when we think about all this, it is important, at least from my view, uh, one of the things that I want people to have is I try to do education for our larger industries in this area is to people, eat people that eat meat to have a good experience with it. And part of that is understanding where it comes from. Part of that is understanding um, the, the characteristics of it so that we can prepare it in a way that people have a good eating experience. As I said earlier, these are not all the things that we get from an animal. There are other things that come from an animal. I mentioned last week that back in the day when Chicago was considered the hog butcher of the world, there were plants or companies there that said they used everything on the pig but the squeal. Uh, certainly that's for the most part true today. Anything that can be utilized, whether it be as a food product in this country or as a food product somewhere else in the world, or as some byproduct that's used in other things that we use um, and that we need, uh, those things are utilized to try to minimize any waste associated with that. Uh, some of the uh, cuts that, we, that don't come from the parts that I talk about that some people do eat, uh, liver is one of those, not my favorite, but liver is one of those. Liver generally has to be cooked, can be cooked dry or moist, depending on how, what your desire is to fix that. Oxtail, I mentioned a while ago, that's actually part of the tail of a beef animal, and uh, that's going to be a tougher part because if you've ever been around cattle, they're all the time switching their tail, and so that muscle gets to be used a lot, and so that's one that's uh, moist cookery. Then tripe. Uh, it's certainly not eating much in our part of the world, but you can go to grocery stores in larger cities and find tripe. That's one of the parts of the stomach of a beef animal, and that may not be appealing to us, but in some parts of the world it certainly is appealing. One of the things that I would encourage you to do if you have more interest in this is you go to, uh, the, uh, uh, to the Beef Industry Council uh, they have recipes to help you see if you have questions about how to cook certain cuts of beef and to figure out where they come from. Uh, the pork industry has that information as well as the lamb board would have that information. And so, again, if you have suggestions or ideas for programs that you'd like to hear me discuss, then uh, please let me know those by emailing pblevins at vt.edu. Thank you again for being with us today, and thank you, Leanne. You have been listening to Farm Talk with Phil Blevins. 
And you can tune in next week on Wednesday at 1 o'clock on Your Voice of Southwest Virginia for the next installment of Farm Talk. And you can email Phil questions at pblevins at vt.edu or call the station at 276-944-6593. This is WEHC Emory and WISE FM Wise.